Welcome to your Active Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Luca Bertuzzi, your technology editor. This week, we take a closer look at intellectual property infringements and the state of play in the European digital single market. For an overview on all things digital in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euractive.com. This is your Active's Tech Brief Podcast. Today I'm joined by Alexandra Poch, Deputy Director of the European Observatory on Infringements of Intellectual Property Rights at the EU IPO. Hi, Alexandra. Hi, hello. And by Julio Laporta, Head of Communication and Spokesperson at the EU IPO. Hi, Julio. Hello. So this week uh, you have uh, published a study on fake products and pirated content in the EU. Uh, what did you find out? The thing is, really we found out not so good news to be honest we've seen uh, a rise in the percentage of young people across the european union that have bought counterfeits in the last 12 months at least one fake product and we are targeting uh, youngsters between 15 and 24 years old the percentage of those who did buy fake products is of 52%. And what is worrying is that 37% of them bought these fake products on purpose. Last time we did this study in 2019, the figure was 13%. And if we turn to online uh, piracy, you know, downloading illegal content from the internet, We've seen, and this is, let's say, the, the positive news, a preference for accessing licensed content on the site of the youngsters. In uh, 2019, that was a percentage of 50%, and now the percentage has gone up to 60%. So 60% prefer uh, access licensed content. However, however, there's still uh, a 33% of the youngsters that said that they had access digital content from illegal sources in the last 12 months. And out of this, 21% did it on purpose, which is sort of stable as compared to the figures we got in 2019. It seems that it, the, the main factors that uh, drive youngsters to acquire fake products or access illegal content on the internet is price and availability. So it's easier to find these products. But we've seen that there is increasingly an important factor, which is peer and social influence. What they do it because friends they know or family or influencers they follow do it. What would stop them? We also asked them, what would stop them from doing this? And they replied that, uh, well, the main deterrence for them would be a, a case of cyber threat or cyber fraud by accessing these sites that promote or are available these, the, the fake products. They could get uh, harmed, the devices or the, the data could be stolen. And also as the, uh, the impact these uh, products 
may have in uh, in the environment because of course none of these products is subject to any sort of standard or regulation so this is all in all uh, our main findings coming from this study luca turning to you alexandra julio mentioned that this is in fact just uh, one of a series of studies you have conducted why why did you choose uh, young people uh, as your focus in these uh, studies um right well luca the, uh, it's a very good question we are not only focusing on young people the study that we just released is is focused on young people but we also have another set of studies that actually looks at eu citizens across all ages no and we do them in regular intervals so that we can monitor trends And in the last study uh, on the perception of all EU citizens of what, whatever age, which we did in, in 2020, you could actually, uh, it was again confirmed that it's mostly younger people who are intentionally, for example, buying counterfeit goods. And you can see as the age goes up, the percentage of um, citizens that intentionally buy counterfeit goes down. So indeed, it is younger people that are the, the main audience here. And we found that out very early when we ran this study for the first time um, back in, I think, 2015, 2016. Um, and so we focused as well, we decided to do a more specialized study for young European citizens from the age of 15 to 24. And again, we are running this every three years, and this is the third installment um, and looking specifically at this subsector. And it's a good question of why it is young people. Um, I think if you're looking at the drivers, uh, it's probably a sort of a bit more explanatory. No, um, Julio just mentioned already that a price is a main driver for intentionally purchasing counterfeits. So, um, you know, maybe it is, it might be more relevant for younger people who might not yet have their own income. Um, and also we can see that there is a, a growing influence of peer family social influence. Um, and again, that might be something that younger people might be more susceptible to. So um, the, the exact reasons, we don't know. We actually have uh, another work stream coming up where we look in more, absolutely more details. But we do know what drives them from this study. Um, and I think there are some connections you can make about why these type of drivers are of particular relevance to younger people. Uh, maybe at this point, it would be worth explaining what is the problem here, because it might not be obvious for everyone. Uh, Julio, can you tell us what is the damage uh, of buying products that violate intellectual property? Well, there is. The good thing about intellectual property is how much it contributes to the economy. We did a study uh, recently in 2019, which is what value brings intellectual property rights to the economy in the European Union. And we've realized and we noticed that industries that make intensive use of intellectual property rights generate 45% of the GDP in the European Union. We're not talking only GDP, we're also talking about jobs. They employ 40% of the population in the European Union, or the, the work population, I mean. These industries not only do that in general terms, but they also pay 
47% higher wages than other sectors. So it's it, their contribution, the value that these companies bring to the EU economy is huge. Now, there is the downside. What is, what is the trade in counterfeiting products uh, bringing? Well, it's only bringing damages. The first thing, the first damages that happen are the ones that are brought to the consumers because none of these products is subject to any sort of standard, as we were saying before. So there can be damages to health, there can be damages to the environment. There's also damages to the economy. So as long as the IP rights bring good benefits to the economy, as long as they are not, uh, they, they are uh, uh, destroyed by these fakes, there's damages. And we've also quantified this, and we've seen that in, in, in sales every year, there's in, in, in the most relevant factors, 83 billion of euros are lost in sales every year. We are, if we talk about money, we also talk about jobs. The total employment loss number every year is 670,000 jobs. And also governments lose money because these products don't pay taxes. And governments lose every year 19.19 billion euros in taxes not collected. So there are damages all across the board by the trade in fake products and the access to online pirated goods. And what is also important is that this is a, a crime which is not victimless because we've also partnered with Europol and realized that there are connections between IP crime, all this trade with counterfeit products and uh, pirated goods, there are connections between this IP crime and other organized crime like persons trafficking, drug trafficking, money laundering, and even terrorism. And it is because of that, as a consequence of this, uh, that we've raised this to the knowledge of the political masters and the legislators. And last year, it was agreed at European Union level that IP crime will become one of the 10 priorities for prosecution of crimes in the European Union for the next four years. Because this is a way to try to stop it and try to stop this uh, illegal funding for this organized crime. So it's all combined. This, the un quick answer to your question, Luca, is IP rights bring good to the economy in terms of jobs and wealth and uh, taxes. IP crime or uh, fake products and piracy only bring damages at all levels, individual level, economy level, uh, political level. Julio was mentioning uh, legislators. Uh, Alexandra, what legislation is there at the EU or national level uh, that is addressing this problem? Well, at the EU level, the main piece of legislation 
is the enforcement directive. This is a directive from 2004, Directive 48 from 2004, on the enforcement of IP rights um, in the Euro um, European Union directive, as mentioned. So, of course, there is um, the implementation into national law, um, either by the change of existing acts or, or, or separate additional acts at national level. And the enforcement directive requires member states to put in place proportionate civil measures, um, procedures and remedies to enforce intellectual property rights um, against uh, those engaged in counterfeiting and piracy. Um, it's, not, it's not something that relates to criminal procedures, though. So this is a, a, civil, a civil law measures um, directive. And effectively, this means that all member states should put in place similar, a similar set of civil measures and procedures and remedies to allow the rights holders to defend their intellectual property rights if they're infringed. And then you have got a number of other um, directives that also play a part, the e-commerce directive, or uh, recently the uh, copyright in the digital, digital single market, so uh, the DSM, where Article 17 uh, sets out a specific liability regime for online sharing service providers as regards to the content uploaded by uh, their users. So all of this is um, very relevant. Um, and of course, all of the national implementation is, is very relevant to the enforcement of intellectual property law. Um, and of course, uh, the legislator is, uh, is um, in motion as well at the moment. Um, and we are waiting to see what the results, the final results will be uh, for another important piece of legislation that is in the making, namely the Digital Services Act. And indeed, I was coming to that. Uh, so the DSA will update uh, the e-commerce uh, directive and it will introduce horizontal liability rules for illegal content and products uh, for the single market. Uh, what do you expect the effect of the DSA to be? Well, I can certainly um, say that uh, we'd hope that it, what it will do is it will give clarity as to the rules and responsibilities. Um, hopefully, also, uh, ultimately, this will lead to a reduction of the misuse of the services of intermediaries for the infringement of intellectual property rights. Of course, many um, intermediaries, and amongst them also the, the online platforms, to give one example, are already very active in removing illegal content, um, illegal offers from their sites, uh, because also, of course, it's a misuse of what is their legal business model. Um, in fact, uh, as you might know, the Commission has facilitated a memorandum of understanding on the sale of counterfeit goods on the Internet, uh, it's a voluntary agreement um, to prevent offers of counterfeit goods from appearing on online marketplaces. So there is already a voluntary measures that are trying to address this issue. For this memorandum, actually, um, EU IPO supports this memorandum as a trusted third party. So we get the actual data from the participating um, online platforms and we aggregate it. And um, now uh, with the DSA, the hope is really there that we have the clarity of the rules and responsibilities. And uh, now that uh, there is the political agreement um, has uh, has been reached, uh, we're hoping to see you know the final 
the final uh, adoption, hopefully before the end of the year. And then, um, of course, EUIPO stands ready to further support the implementation uh, within the scope of our mandate, of course, because, uh, of course, the DSA goes much further than than IP rights. Um, but yes, for IP rights, we're hoping it will have that effect. Alexandra Posh is Deputy Director of the European Observatory on Infringements of Intellectual Property Rights, and Julio Laporta is Head of Communication and Spokesperson at the European Union Intellectual Property Office. Thank you both. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Luca. That's all we got time for this week. Don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to receive a comprehensive overview on tech affairs in the world of European politics and policy directly in your mailbox. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music. This episode was produced with the technical help of Abby Chiori. I'm your Luca Bertuzzi, and thank you for listening. <laughs>